Welcome to Fit Body Happy Joints. I'm happy you're here listening. My name is Shannon. This week, I want to talk about cardio. And actually, I'll talk about cardio in the next two weeks because there's a lot to talk about. And there's a lot of confusion about what cardio is, how much you need, and how much is overkill, and what could be setting you back, etc., etc. Most people agree that cardio is anything where you elevate your heart rate. And most of the definitions that I saw online say that this requires rhythmic, repetitive movements of your limbs in order to get your heart rate high enough to consider it a cardiovascular exercise. Because most people consider cardio as repetitive, rhythmic movements, most forms of cardio are thought of as like running and cycling and swimming. And this is also why something like lifting weights isn't usually considered cardio. And because lifting weights isn't considered cardio, it's commonly thought that you need to do both. You need to lift the weights and you need to do running or biking kind of separately. But do you really need to do that? And if so, exactly how much extra cardio do you need to be doing? And these are the things that I want to address in these two podcasts, both this week and next week. I'll address the different benefits and risks of different dosages of cardio, types of cardio, and then hopefully provide a framework for what I consider optimal based on my experience and my research. This podcast will be in two parts. So this first part this week will be about higher intensity training, and then next week we'll do part two, which will be more about steady state cardio. So today we'll talk about HIT as a form of cardio or high intensity interval training. And I understand that some people might not classify HIIT as like more traditional cardio, but I think if we're just thinking of cardio as anything that elevates your heart rate enough to feel like a challenge, I would put HIIT in that bucket for sure. So any kind of exercise that's really getting that heart rate close to your maximum. And I also want to say just quickly before I get into this, that if you're training for a race or if you're an athlete or if you need a certain amount of endurance, cardio is a completely different conversation for you. Most endurance athletes do much more cardio than is required for optimal cardiovascular health. And I think a big problem in the fitness world is that we equate competitions like marathons to fitness and overall health. And I think we confuse and muddle them together, like competition and sports and fitness and health. And fitness and sports are completely different. They have different goals, you need to train differently, and quite frankly, they have different health outcomes. And I'll do a podcast about the difference between sports versus fitness soon. But for now, I just wanted to give that disclaimer that if you're running a race or if you're an athlete, cardio and endurance is it's a different conversation. But if you're just looking to be as healthy and fit as possible and you aren't concerned with winning a competition or a race, these two episodes will hopefully help provide a framework for what might be the most optimal way for you to exercise and integrate cardio or not to achieve the ultimate goal of just optimal fitness and optimal health. The idea is that We want to implement the right amount of dosage and the right types of exercise that will make our bodies optimal without overdoing it and potentially reversing the benefits. So let's get into HIT, the benefits, the risks, if you should do HIT, and if so, how much. So HIT is high intensity interval training is a combination of short bursts of intense all out effort followed by periods of rest. During the period of intensity, you're usually reaching your near maximum heart rate for a brief amount of time, anywhere from seconds to minutes. 
HIT has been popularized because it's super time efficient and it is beneficial for things like mitochondrial density and heart health. Before we go any further, I've noticed mitochondria have received a lot of attention lately. I've heard the word mitochondria pop up in a lot of the podcasts I listen to. So I wanted to discuss really what mitochondria are and why they're important for fitness. So your mitochondria are the the organelles of your cell that are that are responsible for powering the cell. They're primary sources of cellular cellular ATP synthesis and they're central in energy and redox metabolism. Basically, mitochondria power our cells or they use sugar and fat to fuel the cells and the processes in our body. The larger and more well-functioning our mitochondria, the better our metabolic health, the better our metabolism, and the better our muscular health. Mitochondria are like a car engine. If you have a bigger and newer and better engine, even for an old car, that car, that old car, that old frame will move better, faster, and more powerful. So HIT has been shown to improve mitochondria size and function, which is great for our metabolic health. And good metabolic health means that you have healthy blood sugar levels, you have good blood pressure, you have good body fat percentage, you have healthy cholesterol, and you have healthy levels of triglycerides. Now, when our mitochondria are dysfunctional, that's when we begin to develop metabolic issues or develop health problems. In fact, there is a correlation between mitochondrial dysfunction and what's called insulin resistance, which is key in our metabolic health. Our level to our level of regulation of insulin is key for our metabolic health. So what is that? Insulin resistance is a precursor of diabetes, but it's getting a lot of attention lately and insulin resistance seems to be more common than we actually even realize. Insulin resistance is when our body gets less sensitive to insulin and produces more of it. More insulin can mess with our hunger signals. It can trick you into thinking you're more hungry and need more fuel than you actually do. And it can actually lead to weight gain, among other things. So we want to control our insulin and thus controlling hunger and other important metabolic pathways. So obviously nutrition is important for controlling insulin, but exercise can be as well. Exercise in the right dose and frequency can improve our sensitivity to insulin, which can help us optimize our blood sugar levels and our hormone levels. So insulin sensitivity can be good and insulin resistance can be not so good. So that's the difference there. I'm going to use those two terms a lot throughout this podcast. So exercise improves our insulin sensitivity, which remember, that's a good thing because it is a powerful tool to stimulate mitochondrial biogenesis or mitochondrial improvements in size and function. Remember, your mitochondria is like the engine of a car. The better, the more powerful that engine, the better, more powerful the car is. So the better our mitochondria, the better our glucose uptake, and the better our insulin sensitivity or the healthier our metabolic system. So exercise is good for our health. We get that. We know that. However, most good things have an upper limit where too much of it becomes counterproductive. And in exercise, that upper limit isn't as defined in the clinical research because inactivity is a pandemic. And for most people, just getting them to do anything to avoid their sedentary lifestyle was a win, right? So we didn't really study how much of this thing, how much of this exercise is too much. And as I've mentioned in other podcasts, there really isn't much talk in the fitness world about how much is the right amount for achieving optimal health without inadvertently causing harm to our bodies. 
So because there isn't much education about it, people essentially think that more is better and that there's really no overdose effect. But this interesting study shows that there is an overdose effect and that doing too much of intense exercise like HIT can actually reverse the positive effects of our mitochondria and of our, of our insulin sensitivity, causing things like increased hunger cues, among other issues. So exercise has what's called a curvilinear relationship, meaning low amounts of exercise or no exercise obviously have negative consequences to your body. And then we have modest amounts of exercise that tend to be the most beneficial and optimal for the health of your body. But then when we get to extreme or high, high to extreme amounts of exercise, they display kind of similar negative consequences that little or no exercise does. So there's a, there's a relationship where you kind of hit that sweet spot, that moderation where you're getting optimal benefits. And then when you go beyond that, you can start to get negative benefits. So this short-term study that I'll discuss by Michael Flockhart and colleagues looks at the upper limit of HIT and how too much HIT or too much high intensity can actually decrease mitochondrial health and potentially increase insulin resistance, remember, which is not what we want. This study took healthy subjects who exercised but were not competitive athletes and had them do HIT for four weeks. Each week, they added more HIT sessions. So on week one, they started with lighter training, which was two sessions of HIT. They repeated four minute-long intervals where they were going intense for four minutes, and then they were taking a rest, and they repeated that about five times. And all of this was on a bike. And then in week two, they added a little bit more. So week two was more of that moderate week. They added a third session of HIT, so they were doing three total sessions on the bike, and they ramped up the intervals, so they were going up to eight-minute-long intervals with rest in between. And then the third week, they added daily interval training. So the third week was the most extreme exercise regimen, and they were doing interval training every single day. And then in week four... They decreased the intensity again, so week four was intended to be more of like a recovery week. The researchers studied the participants' physiological responses to these different doses of exercise. They took muscle biopsies, and they also took oral glucose tolerance, which basically measures how well their body was able to control their insulin levels. The results were interesting. So muscular output increased from baseline through weeks one and two. So weeks one and two were the light and the moderate training. So your muscular output improved after week one and two. And from my knowledge, this is because of what's called neuromuscular adaptation. So neuromuscular adaptation is when your body essentially gets used to a certain movement and gets more efficient at it. So it might increase in output, but that might not be because the muscles are actually getting bigger in this short term. It might just be because of the neuromuscular adaptation or that your body is getting more efficient at that specific movement. So week one and two showed really positive outputs from this type of training. And then week three, the output started to decline and stagnate. Their muscular output declined, and this is from my analysis, probably from overuse. Their mitochondria efficiency declined over the previous week, and their insulin sensitivity declined. From my analysis, this could mean their insulin resistance might have increased, and I wonder if their hunger levels were affected as well because of this. The study didn't mention that, but I'm kind of making that assumption based on the metrics about their blood sugar. After the recovery phase, where the training load was drastically reduced in week four, performance started to rise again, but the mitochondrial efficiency in the blood sugar levels were still less improved than they were at week two with the moderate training regimen. 
So this study shows that more aggressive exercise actually caused negative effects to the metabolic health and their adaptation due to mitochondrial partial shutdown, causing things like insulin resistance and overall less healthy body. From my analysis and what seems to be that of the researchers, HIT should not be excessive if overall health is the goal. The hypothesis for why more exercise is harmful is because your mitochondria are overwhelmed and not given space to adapt to the intense and frequent stimulus. Something that I preach all the time, right? Enough exercise where we get the positive effects, but not so much that we start to get the negative effects. The good news is that the negative effects of excessive exercise were reduced as soon as the exercise load decreased. It only took about one week of reduced training to improve the metabolic parameters. And to me, this just shows how quickly the body can adapt. Like the body is always amazing me. And that you aren't a lost cause if you're realizing that you may be in this camp of you're overdoing it on your workouts and potentially harming yourself by hitting it too hard too often. It just shows that you can back off and start to see your body improve like almost immediately. The limitation of this study was that it was short term. And I'd love to read about how potentially you could ramp up intensity over a much longer period of time and see how the body adapts. But again, research setting the upper limit of exercise and how much is too much and what's the sweet spot, it really is pretty limited at this time. I do think that there are people who can slowly increase their way towards a more frequent, intense exercise routine and be totally fine. But anecdotally, what I've seen is this. Someone works out intensely and frequently for a period of time. Usually people end up doing this over years, decades, whatever. And initially they lean down because they are burning so many calories in their workouts. And from my observation, and this isn't for everyone, but what I've observed is if people are just focused on the burning the calories and the intensity, they aren't as focused on building muscle and allow their, allowing their body to recover enough so they can build that muscle. And they eventually get to the point where their joints can't tolerate the intensity and frequency of their workouts, but they've shot their metabolism because they don't have enough muscle. They switch to a more gentle program, really out of necessity to take care of their joints, but they don't change their eating habits necessarily. So because they're eating the same as when they did when they were burning off what they ate in their workouts, but they shot their metabolism because they weren't focused on building muscle, they can sometimes see weight gain. And again, this is very possible that you can work out frequently and intensely your whole life and be 100% fine and be super healthy. But I'd say for most people, especially if you're listening to this podcast, they just can't sustain that type of workout for very long without developing joint wear and tear or hormonal issues or fatigue issues and things like that. Back to this study. This study didn't touch on the effects of overuse of our muscles, which to me is a very important factor and could be the reason why the participants saw decreased strength within the higher frequency of exercise. So again, they saw less strength in that week three. And to me, this could be because of overuse of the same muscles in your cycling routine. So muscles that are overstrained because of high intensity exercise without enough recovery are not healthy muscles. They don't adapt like they should if you just gave them time to recover and you end up spending in chronic inflammation without the upside of gaining strength and muscle mass. Because remember, strength and muscle mass are developed in the recovery, not in the workout. So if you're not giving the muscles time to recover, they won't actually get stronger. And remember that increasing your muscle mass will improve your metabolism. However, 
overstraining your metabolic system and your muscular system won't result in the benefits of increasing your metabolism and your joint health. So what is the line then when it comes to intense training? Many medical and sports groups suggest intense interval training shouldn't be completed more than like three times a week to avoid these negative metabolic side effects. And from a joint health perspective, I agree with this, that it shouldn't be probably more than a few times a week, if at all. And I'll talk about that here in a moment. So if we can only gain the benefits of HIT if we do it like two to three times a week, are we just sedentary on the other days? Like, do we just not work out at all on the other days? Or should we train in different ways on the days where we're not working on intensely? So I found another study that looked at the benefits of short, intense exercise versus longer, more gentle workouts more frequently. So this is a really interesting finding. The study took overweight men, and they had these men exercise on a bike. They divided the participants into two groups and had each group exercise for different amounts of time and intensity and frequency. So group one performed short, all-out workouts, think like a HIIT workout on the bike. They sprinted for 30 seconds with rest in between, and they repeated that four to six times. So their workouts were really short, but they were really intense. They only worked out three days per week. And then group two exercised more moderately. They exercised on the bike for 30 to 40 minutes at more of a moderate heart rate, like 60% of their, their max heart rate, but they worked out five days per week. Both groups at the end of the study were more fit. However, the group in the moderate intensity exercise shed more body fat, their blood pressure improved more, and they were better able to metabolize extra fat. So this study highlights the importance of frequency. Glycemic control, which is your ability to regulate blood sugar, again, back to that insulin sensitivity thing. So glycemic control was better on days that the participants exercised as opposed to rest days. So the study concluded that more frequent gentle workouts were overall more favorable than less frequent intense workouts. So we see from the second study that more frequent workouts tend to be more favorable for your body. However, I discuss, as I discussed in the first study, you probably can't do intense workouts super frequently without seeing setbacks. So we know that we need to work out frequently, but we probably can't work out both frequently and intensely. So what's the answer? Do we do HIT? Do we do steady-state cardio? And where does strength training come in? And the answer is, it depends on who you are and how much you're doing. We want to apply enough exercise that's actually going to do something for your body without overdoing it and backtracking. From my research and experience, I've found the most favorable outcomes are when most of your workouts are light or moderately intense and focus on building muscle. Many of these studies that I saw are evaluating the shorter term benefits of exercise because they are more focused on the processes that adapt quickly. Your heart and lungs, your cardiovascular system adapts very quickly. Your metabolic processes like your glucose uptake adapt very quickly. What doesn't adapt so quickly is your muscular system. And so these studies didn't really look at the adaptation of your muscular system, which is a very important system for your overall health. Many times, muscle hypertrophy or increase in size will take anywhere from 8 to 24 weeks. But increasing muscle mass has amazing benefits on your body. It improves your metabolism. It improves your bone density. More muscle actually improves your cardiovascular health and so much more. Basically, the more muscle you can add to your frame, the more easy you will be able to lean down, 
keep your heart healthier and avoid things like a bone fracture as you age, which can change your life, especially for someone that is elderly. More muscle is a healthier body. More muscle will lead to better health outcomes as you age. So on most of our workout days, and I think I tend to think like four to five days per week, you want to focus on strength training in in kind of that light to moderate heart rate range. Light to moderate heart rate range is like maybe 50 to 60% of your heart rate max. And what people don't realize is that your strength training workouts can often double as cardio, many times eliminating the need to add a bunch more focused cardio into your routine. Because remember, your heart and lungs don't know what you're doing. They don't know what your body is doing. All they know is that there's increased demand for blood and oxygen. So they can't tell if you're lifting a weight at 100% effort or if you're riding a bike at 100% effort. They just know there's increased demand to your tissues. So your heart and lungs have to pump faster and harder to accommodate that demand. So we might as well lift the weight and receive the dual benefit of the cardio and also improving your muscle mass. Not only can strength training double as cardio in the moment if you're doing it right, but it can also improve your cardiovascular system in the long term. When you have more muscle, your heart and lung capacity is increased as well because it has more dense tissue to serve and oxygenate. If you think about it, if your body has more of that dense muscle tissue, your heart and lungs have to work faster and harder. So as you gain more muscle, you're kind of linearly improving your cardiovascular health as well. So if we think of strength training as doubling for cardio in the moment with the extra credit that improving or maintaining muscle mass also linearly improves our heart health, how much extra cardio do we really need? In my opinion, it isn't necessary for overall health to do a bunch of extra dedicated intense cardio. Sprinkling in some higher intensity workouts could provide health benefits like improved mitochondrial size and function, but may not be necessary or recommended based on where you are in your fitness journey. Because studies show that HIT is not the only form of exercise that improves our mitochondrial size and function and thus our insulin sensitivity. Moderate intensity exercise also improves mitochondrial function, but maybe not as much as the higher intensity exercise does, at least not right away. However, when moderate intensity exercise is stacked up over time and done over weeks, months, years, it could have big effects on your mitochondrial's function without the negative side effects of wear and tear through your joints. So it might be in your long-term interest, both for your joint function and for your mitochondrial health to choose moderate intensity exercise, like lifting weights more often. Now, I have a lot of people who come to me wanting to add exercise in their routine for fat loss. I mean, in my DMs almost every day, I have someone saying, I want to start your program. I need to lose 30 pounds. Is this recommended? So I want to talk about this because there's a lot of misconceptions about using exercise for weight loss. And most people are adding in cardio for weight loss, which could be a good reason to do cardio. The reason cardio was recommended for weight loss was because it aided in the caloric deficit. So cardio tends to burn a bit more calories than other forms of exercise. So because of that, it was recommended for weight loss. Because strength training is less repetitive and generally slower, it isn't thought of, traditionally at least, as cardio, and it often isn't seen as a quote-unquote weight loss tool. However, (laughs) disclaimer, I'll say, if you've ever taken like one of my lower body build classes, you know your heart is pumping just as much as it would be if you were on a jog. But 
since we're moving slow, we don't classify strength training as cardio, and we think that we need to supplement it with a run to lose weight. However, as I discussed in that first study, overdoing it on the intense cardio can spiral you into more insulin resistance, making your body hesitant to let go of fat and potentially inhibiting your metabolism. And let's be honest, exercise isn't even necessary for weight loss and really should not be the primary tool. Because what ends up happening is people use exercise to lose weight. They overdo it in the intensity and or the frequency. They inhibit their ability to recover in their mitochondria and in their muscles, which means they add less muscle mass, potentially increase their insulin resistance, and then overeat because their hunger cues are all out of whack. And they end up feeling achy in their joints all the time and see mediocre results. In short, fat loss is so much more about nutrition please do not come to your workout routine expecting it to make up for your poor eating habits. If fat loss is your primary goal, all I want you to do is focus on your food for now. And then once you get to a good place, then maybe you start to add exercise. But if that's your primary concern, please don't rely on your exercise routine to be your weight loss or your fat loss primary tool. Okay, just had to say that. Of course, I always have to disclaimer that some people can do intense cardio all the time and see great results. And odds are that this has to do with the fact that they've figured out the right dosage for their body and their genetics and where they are in their lives. But I do believe that it tends to be overemphasized for weight loss when, again, nutrition should be the primary tool if fat loss is your goal. And then if you want, you can complement that with a routine that builds your muscles. I mean, that is how you will ultimately get an optimal body as you focus on building that muscle and then you really clean up your nutrition. If you use exercise strategically as a way to gain muscle and improve your metabolic processes, then fuel properly, you will work with your body instead of against it. You will end up improving your metabolism and improve your ability to stay lean sustainably without the crash diets. The issue is that people want the short-term fix, right? They want to lose weight as fast as possible. And if that's your goal, this might not be the podcast for you. I'm all about sustainability. I'm not about that short-term fix. And if you don't care about the long-term effects that it has on your joint health and metabolism, then maybe doing a bunch of cardio is the answer for you. However, if you're willing to be patient, focus more on how you're eating and exercise in ways where you aren't concerned with the calories you're burning, but how your body is adapting, you will be able to develop a healthy body in a much more sustainable way. So do you need higher intensity work at all, especially if it's wearing down your joints? I think based on what I've read, that question remains unanswered. I'll leave you with a rough framework of how much cardio to add into routine based on where you are in your fitness journey. If you're coming from a place of feeling broken down with chronic joint pain, chronic fatigue, or if you're a newbie to exercise, In my opinion, from my experience, cardio does not need to be your priority right now. We need to get your inflammation down. We need to focus on building protective muscle by strength training in ways that stress your muscles, not your joints. We need to take you back to square one. Build up your muscles, which, by the way, will improve your heart health and your cardio. Building up your muscles will improve your insulin sensitivity. Building up your muscles will improve your mitochondrial health and thus improve your metabolism and your fitness. So you do this by including four to five strength workouts per week. And you never want to work the same muscle group on consecutive days. So for example, you wouldn't want to work your glutes on Monday and then turn around and work them again on Tuesday. They need at least a day, preferably longer to recover, or you won't see them strengthen and grow. 
overuse will only feed that inflammation cycle and inhibit optimal results. You want to make sure you choose your exercises wisely too, right? Because not every exercise and not every program is created equal. This also doesn't have to be only lifting weights. You can do some really smart exercises that use your body weight. But again, um, not every exercise is created equal. And this is why I highly recommend if you want to make sure you're doing this in the right way, you join Evlo. Okay, so we've got the strength training four to five times per week. And then since daily activity seems to be the best for overall health and glycemic control, we want to make sure you're moving your body on most days. So even on your non-workout days, going for a short and gentle walk or a hike or a gentle bike ride may be beneficial. Think about activities that get your heart rate up a tiny bit, but don't completely exhaust you or wear down your muscles like a hit session would. Some days, you won't do anything on your recovery days and we're human and this doesn't mean you're losing ground. So please give yourself permission to be imperfect on your non-workout days. So once you're to the point where your inflammation is at bay, your joints are feeling better, you're starting to see muscle growth and this can take months by the way, so be patient. You can start to add some brief, more intense workouts but only if you want. And I would suggest doing these maybe two times per week. In Evlo, in my program, we do two 15-minute cardio burst classes per week, so one on Monday and one on Wednesday. And one of them is actually low impact, so it's gentle on your joints, but it still gives you that kind of higher intensity effect. And using my classes is obviously my preference because I understand joint mechanics and how to choose exercises that don't overstress your joints. But another good option is you can add two 15-minute bike sprints on non-consecutive days. So again, make sure you're not doing like a bike sprint on Monday and then on Tuesday. If you're going to do one on Monday, wait till at least Wednesday, maybe Thursday or Friday to do another one. I have tons of clients who run and you can do running intervals as well or even walking intervals on an incline, but it isn't my preference because of the impact to your joints. So I'd say probably my first preference is to take my classes. Second preference is some bike sprints. Third is probably walking intervals on an incline. And then fourth would be running if you really love to run. So hopefully that gives you an idea of how to implement cardio based on who you are and where you are. Remember, results don't happen overnight. Sometimes there's some trial and error in the beginning. You may have to make adjustments to frequency or intensity. You might have to adjust your nutrition, but that's to be expected in the first month or two, especially when you're making these changes. But these changes will change your life. I mean, truly. What is more important than optimal and sustainable health? If you're ready to join a program that is structured in a way for you to see results without wearing down your joints, I would love to have you in Evlo. I teach new classes Monday through Friday, and I'm always educating in my classes. I try to make every class both refreshing and fun, all while building up your body in healthy, sustainable ways that feel really, really good. So evlofitness.com is where you can find me and find out more. It's evlofitness.com. There's a seven-day free trial if you want to get in there and just check it out, see if you like it. And that is it for this week. Make sure to join me next week because I'll be doing a part two to this episode about the addition of steady-state cardio and how much, if any, steady-state cardio you really need. All right. Hope you enjoyed. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening. Bye.